0: AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today.
1: Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir?
2: Absolutely stellar. It's absolutely boiling here. How about you?
1: (laughs) It's a cold one. It's another cold one. But we are here today to pick our teams of the tournament. I wanted to pick them today so that the final doesn't skew our views too much. Now, I don't think it would regardless because I think, you know, you have to look at it as a tournament. We know that France... And Argentina will be the final. We will have a podcast dedicated to that game as well as picking our players of the tournament and who we think will end up with the the golden boot as well as Messi and Mbappe head into that game with five goals each. But today we're going to look a little bit at the third and fourth place playoff between Croatia and Morocco and also just take a quick look back at the quarterfinals and semifinals. Is there's anything that we missed while doing these daily pods we can hit on it now so let's actually start there carl because it should be good and quick to get it out of the way quarterfinals croatia draw with brazil 1-1 and then beat them on penalties netherlands and argentina draw 2-2 argentina win on penalties morocco knock out portugal 1-0 and france knockout england 2-1 anything from that round that you feel we didn't quite hit enough on this pod
2: uh, I don't know that there's too much we didn't cover. I think it's quite interesting that of there's not been too many games have gone to extra time and penalties. I think it's more of a broad broad strokes thing. We could look back at those quarterfinals and and semis now and speak about because considering quite a lot of the games at the World Cup have been like relatively tense and nobody's really really overcommitted. I would maybe have expected more games to go to extra time, maybe go the distance, and obviously the the Croatia and Netherlands ones did. The next two didn't, neither of the semi finals have, or even have been close to go into extra time in the end. Um, I do think it's quite interesting. Let's say that there have been either ridiculously good defensive efforts or teams who have seized the moment when they've needed to and just sort of run away with it a little bit, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think there's been a notable rise in. Good defending as the tournament has narrowed down. In the group stage, we saw some of the worst defensive play you're ever going to see. But once we got into the knockouts, I think a, a lot of teams really tightened up. And even, you know, Argentina had some wobbles against Australia and the Netherlands, but, you know, the defensive performance against Croatia was outstanding. Now, Croatia aren't a great attacking team, but. I still thought you mentioned that you wrote a great article on it about the midfield and how that contributed to the defensive work. I think that's vital. I think that's something that's worth highlighting. Obviously, Morocco only conceded three goals in the entire tournament, and two of them came in the semi-final. They're the only two goals that were scored against them by the opposition. The other one was an own goal by Neve Agard against Canada. You know, they've built their team on a really strong defense. Hmm. And to some extent, France have built their team on a strong defense and they had real rocky moments, largely because of Upa Meccano and Theo Hernandez having big wobbles against England. But, you know, when we got to the knockout phase or the, the sorry, the semi-final phase, you were looking at, In fact, I go back. I go back to the quarterfinal phase. Croatia, Netherlands, Argentina, Morocco, and France. Teams that were basically built to stop the opposition first and foremost. And then had differing ways of counterattacking and exposing weaknesses in the opposition team. For France, it was as simple as give it to Mbappe and hope for the best. Or, you know, hope that Griezmann can manipulate some space. These were... These were some interesting games that we got in the quarterfinals and semifinals. Like Croatia Brazil was a strange game because they, everybody expected Brazil to come out and just outplay Croatia. And I remember at halftime, BBC I think it was that had that one. we talking about how oh they've they've been able to keep up with Brazil and they they outplayed them in the first half. Mm. You know we we saw Morocco get their goal against Portugal and then go all hands on deck in the second half. But Portugal, like Brazil, you didn't really feel like they were fully committing themselves to trying to win those games. They were playing a little bit within themselves. And I think one of the legacies this World Cup will have is that there's a a couple of nations that will be very, very disappointed in how things panned out for them about the manner in which they went out. But We have seen, I think, an uptick in in good defensive football being married with an ability to also attack and hurt your opposition.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to note that, first of all, every team has had their own different ways of attacking. Like Croatia, their ways of winning the game is basically, first of all, control it. Second of all, wait and see if something happens. If it doesn't, don't worry about it too much. Just keep waiting and keep waiting and... They don't really have an all-out attack style. They don't really have a um, consistent, I wouldn't even say, manner of approaching while they're controlling the matches. And in fact, Croatia in the quarterfinal against Brazil, that's the only game out of all four quarterfinals and the two semifinals where the team with more possession progressed. Every single time other than that game, it's been the other team who's gone through the the team with fewer, uh, fewer percentage of the ball. And Croatia in that game actually only had 50.5%. So it was a very, very marginal, um, domination isn't the right word, obviously, but a very marginal increase over Brazil's percentage. Mm. Um, so I do think that that's particularly noticeable. It's something you brought up in, in the podcast after the semi finals as well. And maybe it will be something which helps to dictate which way the final itself rolls. But with not having all the possession or a majority of possession, or long spells of possession, it's very, very important that, obviously, if you want to progress, you know you have clarity over how you're going to win the game anyway. Now, Croatia, maybe you can leave them aside because they're so happy to wait and take the game to extra time and penalties if that if yeah. you know, it doesn't really matter to them Croatia's
1: mentality is their strongest weapon,
2: isn't it? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, but whereas I'd say, like, Morocco, who you might think might be Less capable sometimes of attacking than Croatia, given some of the players in each team. Were not Croatia. Were uh, sorry, Morocco. Were excellent going forward. Mm. Uh, channel work, uh, overlaps, overloading down both flanks. Very, very good at getting the fullbacks into high areas of the pitch. Every midfielder knew who they were covering for and where. So the the build up play from Morocco in, in both channels was really, really good. Argentina's approach play has been much better since the first, I would say, two group games, because they've not been so reliant on getting it wide, trying to go through Di Maria as they did so often in that first game. And it's been really, really impressive, I think, overall Argentina's build up play. It's been nice balance between getting a lot of Messi but not overly reliant on him. Like they're perfectly happy now to go through Enzo and McAllister and an overlapping fullback down the left hand side. Yeah. That's absolutely fine for them. And Probably importantly, it's fine for Messi as well, because then he's allowed to walk around and look for his spaces and be in position for the next thing, which will come to him inevitably. So it's worked really well for them. France, again, they have very, very clear patterns of build-up play. It's obviously biased through Griezmann and Mbappe, but even on counterattacks, you can see it's a very France-particular uh, manner of moving the ball forward. The, the full-back has now tilted to the opposite side, with tail, getting forward a lot more than Lucas probably would have but it's worked for them really well all the same like so it's good to see that there are different ways of of playing and attacking and winning games at the world cup it's not everybody just trying to you know counterattack the flanks after sitting in for 40 minutes at a time or anything like that there's not really i wouldn't say maybe croatia were actually the most direct i don't think there's really been anybody who's just attacked by you know going for second balls and and long crosses into the box and all that kind of stuff i don't think there's been a very very direct style at the World Cup to be honest this time.
1: So, the only time we saw real agricultu- ag- agricultural football like that was when the Netherlands went 2-0 down against Argentina. Yes, which and was... brought on the big fellas. Yes, the, the Twin <laughs> Towers. Yeah that was and just you know, and just humped the ball into the box. And but it does make you wonder if we we saw what it did to Argentina's defence. I mean it would it was chaotic for the last 15 minutes or 10, the last 12 minutes I think it was of yeah. normal time plus the, the 10 minutes of stoppage time. Less so in, in extra time. I, I, that's where I felt like the Netherlands lost that game was that they didn't just go, hang on, we've got seven massive lads, 6-2 mm-hmm. and over and the only outfielder they've got who's 6-2 or over is a substitute centre-back, but they balance that by having a 5-6 centre-back and I'm not having that he's any taller than that. He's a gnome. He's 5'6". Let's just pump it back into the box again. And they went away from it. I thought it, it, it's ultimately what caused them. Um, you know, they, we went to penalties and, and they, they blew it. They through great saves by Emi Martinez, it's worth pointing out. Um, right, let's move on then from, from there. Let's talk about this third and fourth place playoff. Croatia versus Morocco. Morocco, I think, the big kind of upset team of the tournament, beat Belgium, knocked out Spain, knocked out Portugal, gave France a hell of a game. They leave as heroes regardless, but this is a great opportunity for Morocco to bring home a medal. And the Croatian players, most of them were at the last World Cup and they won a silver medal. This time they have also, like Morocco, obviously an option, an opportunity to win a bronze medal. And... Look, if you're from Croatia, your chances of winning a World Cup are minuscule. To retire like Modric will after this World Cup from international football with a silver medal and a bronze medal, it's still a hell of an achievement. And I, I think both teams will be motivated to go and win it. But are we going to see full strength teams or close to?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I would expect that from Morocco. Maybe maybe the odd alteration to you know, bring in someone if they want to particularly try them ahead of next year. Maybe because simply they've got, obviously, the injuries that they carry, and there's not really a need to risk them if they are carrying injuries now at this stage. You could understand it in the World Cup semi-final, obviously, but not for this game, probably. Um, you know, Maybe a change in attack. Maybe take out either Buffalo or Naziri, for example, maybe start somebody else, see how they do. But mostly I would expect them to go as close to full strength as they're able to. Croatia, I think it would be a little bit different. I wouldn't be surprised if, let's say, Luka Modric doesn't want to play this game. He doesn't want his last World Cup game to be a, a third-place playoff. Um, he, he wants you know, his, his World Cup legacy, his Croatian legacy, such as it is, to, to end in a, a meaningful match for them in terms of the World Cup. I guess he'll still be there for the Euros, but at least mm-hmm. the World Cup, maybe, maybe they want to try. I don't know. Someone like Lavra Maya maybe can play, maybe try and get Vlasic back into it as well. Maybe, maybe even just change shape completely, whether that's go to a diamond. Maybe it's play Perisic up front or I don't know. Something they've got to fix the number nine role one way or another at one point or another. So you might as well start trying it right now. Um, so I guess there's a bit more scope for them to, to change things than, than from Morocco. You know, this isn't going to be their best finish at a World Cup ever, regardless of the result. Mm. Um, I know that there's a, obviously the thing over Morocco, and and they have a chance. And uh, I've heard some players, more in the women's game than the men's, say that they very much like the idea of trying to come third and getting that uh, effectively a bronze medal sort of thing. I have to say, I don't like it. Uh, it's it's basically the game of the World Cup. I'm not going to watch. Um, I'm, I'm done with a lot of games by this point, and. I'll I'll look at the score. I'll probably look at the goals later on, but I'm not going to watch the game because it's just, I find it a bit too anticlimactic, to be honest, after the emotion of the semifinals. Yeah. After everything that's at stake at the semifinals and how much effort teams put into it. And then it's the third place playoff, which I'm not sure. It's like, it's, it's a very, very bittersweet consolation prize, I think. And there's just not enough on it for me to stay invested in this or want either of the teams to do well or not,
1: to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think it is an opportunity for both managers to give the players that haven't featured, um, you know, some decent run, or players have only played 10, 15 minutes, some decent run. I mean, for Croatia, they could go with Stanisic at right back. Maybe Erlich comes in with Satalo at centre back and Kvardiol plays left back, something like that. And, and maybe. They just decide to, you know, see what that defense might look like. If that was the defense they wanted to move forward with, all of those players are 24 and under. And with Lovren being 33 in garbage and Vida being 33 and in, in the body of a 60 year old, really, maybe they look at that and think, well, that might be our long term defense. So let's roll there. You mentioned Lovro. You mentioned Vlasic. Um, could Christian Jakic maybe get some minutes in midfield potentially? Up front, they're all old. I mean, the, the youngest forward player is Petkovic, who's 28. So they don't really have great options there in terms of giving youngsters. But Luka Susik, uh, Sukic is one who who might come in as well. He's 20 years of age. You start a World Cup game. I know what you're saying. It isn't an anticlimactic game, but it is still a World Cup game. And if you win it, you get a medal. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Croatia can use it as a real opportunity to see what these players can do in a big game. And even though it's not the big game, it's still a world cup game. It's still a deciding world cup game. So yeah, I think it will be anticlimactic, but it is still an opportunity for both, both nations, Um, especially maybe more so Morocco who haven't rotated a lot. It's just been injuries that have forced some change. So maybe they give some of their younger players an opportunity as well. Um, I will watch it, just because because it's, it's a Saturday and there's nothing else to do at the moment, so it's either that or watch championship games, and I'm not really in the headspace to watch championship games, so I'll watch this, and uh, and hopefully somebody who hasn't had much shine in the tournament can have a moment, and I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, I'm going to make you pick a winner, though. I know you're not going to watch it, but I'm going to make you pick a winner. Croatia or Morocco?
2: Morocco. Mm-hmm.
1: See, guys guys, trying to sell me now on watching Championship by telling me it's Middlesbrough versus Burnley. And at, at least Vincent Company has Burnley playing some decent football. Hold on.
2: Middlesbrough and Burnley. I don't even know who's home out of those teams, but surely either way is getting called off for a frozen pitch. But neither of those two. It's, at, it's in, in really Borough, so in almost certainly frozen pitch.
1: 10. Yeah, it's in Borough. So almost certainly frozen pitch. Um, yeah. So sorry, guy. That game is not happening. This game will be played on nice, warm grass in Kit. Kata- oh, it's in Burnley. So maybe a slight possibility. Maybe a slight possibility it goes ahead. Um, they don't have under under underground heating there though. Um, which you know, it's an old small ground. Uh, right. Let's do our teams of the tournament. I'm also going to pick Morocco, but it is more. It's more out of hope than anything because I I think it would be just if they could bring home a medal after this amazing run and after a run in which the likes of Agard, the likes of Saiz, the likes of Masravi have played through injuries, Amrabat the same. These lads have really put their bodies on the line in this tournament for their nations and potentially it's going to cost them in the back half of the season where they might end up missing chunks because of injuries that they've worsened in this tournament but uh, yeah I'll go Morocco I'm not going to pick a scoreline though I'll just say I want Morocco to win and we'll leave it there mm-hmm. let's do our teams of the tournament um I've just realized I don't have anybody in my team of the tournament that whose nation didn't reach the semi-final okay and I'm I'm a little bit disappointed in myself uh, Guy has put his forward. So we're going to read Guy's actually first before we do ours. Actually, no, we'll just, we, Guy, you come in on this and we'll, we'll go through ours. We'll, the yeah, three of us can do this together. Sure. So let's start with the goalkeeper. Um, I've gone for Lavakovic of Croatia. I, I think he was heroic in the Brazil game. Uh, in, in general play and in the shootout, I thought he had obviously a bit of an iffy semi-final but I thought through the tournament he he for me was the standout goalkeeper so I've gone for him
2: yeah I don't disagree I've got him as well uh, I think that's perfectly fine I think there's probably maybe three who, who were there or thereabouts but I, I go with Lavakovic
1: and Mr. Drinkle
3: yep Sam he was main reason they got to the semi-final I think
1: cool Right, let's move on then. I think we're all going to have the same right back as well. So I've gone Ashraf Hakimi.
2: Everybody on the planet should. I think the only one who could even get close to him is Nahuel Molina from Argentina, but I think Hakimi is a,
1: a comfortable level above him. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And Guy,
2: yep,
3: I went the same, and uh, I made the point on Twitter yesterday. It was really interesting that Hakimi was allowed to go forward as well, and not just hide in his own half against M- Mbappe. Yeah. <laughs>
1: shout out to Kyle Walker Um, right let's go uh, centre back pairings I've gone a way I didn't think I would I've gone Christian Romero who I think has been brilliant for Argentina Um, I know he missed one game but I I think he has been absolutely outstanding for them I thought his semi-final performance was excellent I thought in the quarterfinals he was excellent. So I've gone for him, and I've gone for Ibu next to him. Now, Josco Gvardiol was the one I was going to pick, but I think Ibu's performances have been at a level above Gvardiol, and I know that might be controversial for some people, because Gvardiol has been great, but I've gone for Ibu.
2: I think it's fair on performance level. I, I Personally, for the World Cup team of the tournament, I have a minimum of four starts. So if someone gets through to the knockouts, basically, you you are available for selection. And Kanate's not on four, so I can't have him in my own little... Uh, but he might,
1: he might get four. He might get four because he might play in the final. So, he we'll, so will he then classify...
2: Uh well if he plays very well in the final I could I could restructure if I wanted, yes, but at okay. the minute I can't. So I can't We even... can just
3: give him the golden ball, it's fine. <laughs>
2: that's fair. Um I have Gvardiol and Roman Seiss. I think the um level of body on the line and shall we say, um leadership, which I know we, we don't like in Liverpool terms all the time, but I think in this context of a tournament and for what he's done and raising his own level and those around him. I think
1: Saïs was excellent. He was. and um, I came close to... Uh, originally, when I, I looked at doing this after the quarterfinals, and I basically just had the Morocco back four and Amrabat <laughs> because I hadn't seen a, a defence play better. But the reason I'm leaving Saïs out is because he had to go off early in this game. He had to go off early in the game before. Now, it's not his fault. He was injured. But uh, just balance of, of overall. Uh, he he's definitely deserves it. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna dispute the pick at all. Um there is obviously a difference as well between real leadership and you know <laughs> propaganda it leadership. It Let's move it along. Um Guy, give me your your pairing.
3: Uh, I went Gavardio because well he was playing next to Lover and, and looked excellent apart from when he played against Messi, which is fair enough. Um And I went Varane because he was just the one constant in the France back line. And, yeah, I feel like I should have went six, but I can't do two left-footed centre-backs, lads.
1: He's just watched Morocco be absolutely unbelievable in this World Cup with two left-footed centre-backs, and he still won't have it, Carol.
3: Well, no, because Agard and them were injured all the time, so it it was actually... on the balance of bringing in a right-footed person that got them this far.
1: Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. I'll stay. I'm Let's is, move into midfield before guy insults all left-footed people.
3: We have to do left back as well.
1: Oh crap, we do. <laughs> um, right, I have gone for Mazzarri. I I think he has been the best left left back I've seen at this tournament. I know he missed a game, but I think he has been. Absolutely outstanding throughout. I think the balance he offers that team, allowing um, Hakimi to bomb forward and reining in his own natural defensive instincts, playing behind Sophie and Buffal, who, who let's be fair, has put in a real shift in the tournament, but isn't a particularly good defensive player. Mm-hmm. And I think Mazraoui has managed to lock down that side for Morocco. So I've gone for him.
2: Guy, you go. Uh,
3: I put... <sighs> Mine was between Masrari and I thought he may have missed more football than he did, so I kind of want to swap it to him. But I've been bullying Acuna all tournament because I was saying he was won a raffle and stuff like that. But he may not be able to do any like on football stuff like shooting and crossing and stuff. But as an out ball, I think he's probably been Argentina's. One of them, not not the most important, but one of the most important system players. So I just put him there because he made the system work a lot better when um, the manager changed about five people. So yeah, I went to Acuna, but yeah, I feel like I should have went to with her.
2: I think Acuna is a pretty fair shout. I think he's been very important in allowing Argentina's improvement from, from that first game and their build-up play and everything. So even though I don't think he's been the best one, I think he's an absolutely fine shout because mm. he's had such a, a big impact, to be honest. Um, I did initially have Masraoui, and I've changed it to Teo Hernandez. And basically, I think Teo should have been in from the start and has shown why throughout the World Cup. I think he has, on the balance of both halves of the pitch, been the best, whereas I think Masraoui has probably played the best tactical role from left back let's say
1: I think Tao's performance against England just ruled him out for me he was absolutely horrid it's, he it's, wo- it's one of the worst individual performances I've seen at the tournament and I've, allow- I've, I, I've allowed that unfortunately to to colour my view on him for the tournament he, I, I think he's brilliant and I think he has overall had an excellent tournament but he was so poor in that game and then he compounded everything with that absolutely brainless foul on uh on uh, Mason Mount who who wasn't getting the ball. Yeah. Uh, I think if, I've if just punished him out, for that,
2: basically. If he'd gone out there, he would have been responsible for a large part of the going out. He
1: was never playing for France again if uh, scored <laughs> <get> that goal. <ball. laughs> but he didn't. Um, he's
3: Morocco would be in a final right now though, so that would be mm.
1: It is interesting to think would Morocco have beaten England? I kind of feel like they might have. Uh let's move into midfield then. Um We'll just start at the holding midfield role because I'm going to assume we all have the same holding midfielder, Sofian Amrabat.
2: Yeah.
3: Declan, right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, Amrabat. He was. I think we talked about it the other day, didn't we, Dave? That if it wasn't for Messi and Mbappe being aliens, he'd be in the shot for the Golden Ball. And-
1: yeah. Yeah. He's he's been that good. It's it's staggering. He's been that good, and. To be fair, having him, Hakimi and Mazraoui all in is part of why I also left out Romain Size because I, I didn't think I could warrant putting in four Moroccan players. Um, e- despite the fact that they probably all deserve to be in because they were just, they played so much above, so many of them played so much above their normal level. But yeah, Amrabat's absolutely a no brainer. Um, have you both gone 433 442 you've gone 442 so have i so that's okay mine's kind of a diamondy type thing um let's go cuz I, I, I can see guys guy's gone 433 three. so we'll do our eights and then we'll we'll pick our last midfielder when guy picks his first attacker okay. um my first eight i've gone for enzo fernandez I think he's been brilliant, and I think the decision to drop Leandro Paredes and bring him into the team changed the trajectory of this Argentine team, and I think was the, is, is the single biggest reason they have gone this far in the tournament. I think he's been absolutely outstanding. I don't think he's had a poor game. Scored a tremendous goal earlier in the tournament, provided... The, the pass that got them going against Croatia, I, I just think on and off the ball, I think I think he's been maybe the best midfielder at the World Cup after Amrabat. So I've gone for him. So give me your first aid, Carl. Uh,
2: I've gone for mato Kovacic. So it's my, I think, third Croatian in my team so far, yeah. Um, I haven't spoken about him enough. I think he was the best of their three who were very, very good in the group stage. And then in the knockouts, I think he raised his level again. And in the game they actually went out, I think he was, he might have been the actual best midfielder on the pitch, certainly in the first hour of the game. I think Argentina as a unit were sensational in midfield, but Kovacic was near the best I've seen him play, to be fair.
1: And Guy?
3: Yeah, I went Kovacic as well, because I think, you you needed a Croatian midfielder in there. It's the only reason they got the group probably. <laughs> so I I went with Kovačić as well. I think he was better than Modric and obviously um, Brozović plays the same position as Amrabat, so that's a no no.
1: Yeah, so my second midfielder is Matija Kovačić. Um, I had it kind of between him and Adrian Rabio. They were the two I was looking at and trying to decide whether or not, you know, who to lean towards and. I've gone with I've gone with Kovacic. I, I thought he was absolutely tremendous. His performance in the Brazil game will largely go unnoticed because so much of what was off the ball, but especially in that first half, he was ridiculous. He was great against Japan and played a massive role at dragging them back into that game when they went behind. So, yeah, I've gone Kovacic. So, Carol, second number eight. Uh,
2: let's go for the slightly right-sided one, I guess, since I can see guys. It's Griezmann. Um, I think he is the the alternative to Messi in the Golden Ball. I think he's been fucking unbelievable throughout the tournament, on and off the ball, both halves of the pitch. Last night, like I said in the other pod, I think other than I mean, maybe even including Kanate, he might have been France's best defender. He was unbelievably good. He gets through so much work. He doesn't lack anything, even though he's doing the work right in terms of technique and creativity. The first goal came from his ability to pick space, which he's been doing all the way through the tournament. I think he's just been brilliant.
1: And Guy?
3: Yep, same for me. I think he's got them Welsh jeans, hasn't he, where he steps up for country as well. And that's not saying he hasn't been excellent at times for Atletico Madrid, but Atlet- he's a bit of a dumpster fire. And, well, he seemed to get this midfield... um Position off Atleti, but I'm not, and Griezmann just seems to have stepped up whilst playing for France. It may help having Choua many and all the lads next to him, but yeah, I I never saw this type of player in him. I thought he was always just like a number ten or a second forward type thing. But yeah, he he, he seems to be a much more complete footballer than maybe anyone ever thought. And it it's going to be near on impossible for them to replay, because I can't see Nkunku doing this or anything like that. So. If he ever thinks about retiring for France, I think that might be where their step down comes from.
1: So, excuse me, my fourth midfielder is Antoine Griezmann, because I agree with everything you've both said. And I've seen a lot of discourse over crediting Deschamps with getting players to buy in to playing this style of football. And I think the biggest factor in them playing this style of football successfully is the fact that Pogba and Benzema both got injured because their egos would not allow them to play this type of football. Mbappe isn't asked to be part of the system. It's a 10-man system with him. I think the one who's really sacrificed the most is Griezmann. I think he, as we know, made his name as as a winger, second striker, attacking player a final third player you know a a goal scorer a creator and in this role he's he's still a big creative player but his his off-ball work as carl said after Ibu, second best defensive player on the pitch against morocco he was unbelievable he was unbelievable against england as well and you know he disrupted what he needed to disrupt he let declan rice have the ball in areas where he knew declan rice couldn't couldn't hurt england And then he ran off the back of Rice over and over and over again. I think he's been incredible. And I think massive credit for this has to go to Simeone because it is Simeone who's moved him back into this type of role for Atleti. And I think it's given Griezmann the belief that he could play in this role. I do wonder if all things were equal and everybody was fit, would he be playing this role? Because if Pogba and Kante were fit, I don't think he would. I think he'd probably be playing where Usman Dembélé has been playing. I even if if Nkunku had been fit, we might have seen Griezmann play more off the right. So I think Simeone is the uh, the guiding factor for both of these teams, both for Griezmann and for um, for Argentina with that four man midfield they deployed in the semi So you know we'll leave the Simeone hype there, but it needed to be put in because obviously he's Diego Simeone. Um, Carl, who is your fourth and final midfielder then? I thought we were going to get through the whole World Cup without you bringing Simeone up, you know? Never.
2: Never. Dismal. dismal. Um So, my fourth one is obviously the left sided one. And I had mm, quite a debate with myself over who to include here. I really wanted to put Adrian Rabio in because I think he's been excellent, mm. but I didn't. And I really considered putting your man, Enzo Fernandez, in, but I didn't. In the end, I have gone with Alexis McAllister. Um, I think, Fair. Yeah, I yeah. think while Fernandez, Enzo has been like, just really, really, really good at both on and off the ball. Ball progression, and everything else has been excellent, and ball winning as well in midfield for Argentina has been very important. With that, I think that McAllister has brought a real tactical balance for them. He's been able to be either a third centre mid. He's been slightly in off the off the left when they've played that uh, four across. He's also been in possession, the one who has really been able to push himself into like a almost a number ten role. He doesn't really. You know, dictate the ball all the time and demand that it comes to his feet all the time. But he's always there. He's always in possession, uh, in space to receive possession. He's very, very good also at taking up the space that Messi doesn't at any particular time. We know Messi is able to just you know walk around and wander and pick his spots and when to come alive and the rest of it. And it's a little bit like Alexis plays off that. Like some of the time against. Um, Croatia would have seen like instead of a four, it was almost like a three, a two, and a one. And Alvarez yes. was obviously left up top, and Messi is sort of filling in just to block off one of the passing lanes. And McAllister was doing exactly the same thing, but left hand side, left channel. And it was, it was so, so well done. And he's been excellent, like in terms of mm. getting into the final third and creating chances. And he's got himself a goal, obviously, as well, and a few other bits. I just think he's been one of, along with Enzo and along with the capacity to change system to suit who they're playing against, has been the biggest factor in Argentina 10 around
1: their tournament. Yeah, I 100% agree, because they lost Giovanni Lacelso, Lo who'd really established himself as a vital player, doing all the things you've just mentioned. And they looked a little bit lost without lacelso, Lo And Alexis has come in, and it's a new role for him. And obviously he's been playing in a sort of a deep-lying playmaker role for Brighton this season in a double pivot. So it's different to what he's been doing at club level of late. Uh, he has just been excellent. Like, and there's no, there's no ego with him. He's, he's not a player that's looking for his own moments of shine. Every time he gets the ball, he's making the right decision. He really should have scored against Croatia. Had a great chance to score. Um, but unfortunately, just, Kind of didn't get enough purchase on the shot. Um but yeah, I've no no disagreements at all. I love Alexis McAllister. I think he's a fantastic player, and I would take him at Liverpool in a heartbeat.
3: Any South he, American that's linked with Brighton, you buy.
1: Yes, basically. You just you follow around, you you don't hire scouts anymore. Hire private investigators and get them to stalk the Brighton scouts, and whoever they look at, you just jump in and buy. If they look at, at some fella walking down the street kicking a can and they kind of give him a second glance, you buy that player. You get, tell him, get rid of that can. Here's a football. Here's prayer boots. Come on, son, you come with us. Um, right, let's move into the attack then. I think, Carl, I think we're going to have the same two here. Um I know Guy has these two. So, Guy, actually, you give us your front three first because you've got somebody... Different to who I've got and who I think Carl has?
3: Uh, I'll do the two obvious ones, Messi and Mbappe, because, well, Messi, he's kind of turned back the clock, hasn't he? he mm. He's to, I mean, especially against Croatia, poor Vardiol, who I put in my team at the tournament. If it wasn't for that, I think he'd be in everyone's team. <laughs> Messi kind of ended the poor lad. Um, but Messi, no, I think he's, we've mentioned the other reasons why Argentina have got through. He's the main reason Argentina yeah. got through. Because yeah. even when they had the dreadful, unbalanced team, he was still playing really well. Um, so Messi's in because, well, he's a freak. Um, Mbappe, uh, it's weird because I think he started off so hot. I think he's obviously been excellent in the fear factors. It. We always mentioned Virgil defending with aura. I think Mbappe frightens the life out of people with aura. Mm. So I think that kind of contributes to it as well. But I think... Maybe expected a bit more from Mbappe, but at the same time, he's been bloody excellent, so maybe it might just be too high standards. But my third one, maybe, I don't think unexpected, is Julian Alvarez, because I don't think many people would have had him in the Argentina starting 11. He obviously wasn't at the start, but Latura Martinez was so bad, <laughs> was so bad. And I bring in this lad who basically had a handful of starts for Man City. I know he played, was it River Plate he came from? <laughs> he was seemingly excellent at. But to come in as a somewhat bit-part bit player for Man City and have this impact linking up so well with, Man's, uh, with Messi, making the system work a bit more, and actually being a competent footballer at the minute, unlike Latara Martinez, I think he's, he's been another part of their improvement. And there's not... Maybe you could argue Giroud. But I'd prefer... He's in a couple of iffy games. Yeah, me, Olivier he missed, so even Morocco, he missed that. Pretty easy chance, didn't he? he? Just took it too soon. Who? Uh, Kane had a good tournament, but we went to quarterfinals. We're not, we're not pathetic, <laughs> Um El It I think it's tough for a striker in Morocco system to mm. stand out, isn't it? So I think Alvarez by default in in the system I was playing anyway.
1: So Carol, I'll come to you next. Then I'm assuming that you've got the front two of. Bruno Petkovic and Antti Budimir.
2: Yeah, just ahead of Harris Safarovic, who I've never yeah. done. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, I've gone with uh, the, the slightly more surprising Mbappe and Lionel Messi uh, combo. I think it's been... <clears throat> everything the guy said about Messi is completely right, although oh. I will say that I also think it's benefited him, Argentina, switching to two in attack uh, because it completely leaves him free to do what he wants and not leave Argentina. Maybe I should say it helped Argentina more than Messi, to be fair. Not leave Argentina without a focal point sometimes. Um, Alvarez is everything Messi could want, to be honest, yeah. in terms of doing the the hard work and the hard yards and the constant checking back and the, the, the tracking defensive runners or someone coming out from midfield, doing the channel work for him, everything. And the fact that he's actually very good in the in the final third as well. It's like it's like what I imagine like Josh Sargent could be if he could actually control and shoot it's it's quite it's quite nice to see that combo in attack from someone. These are always South Americans aren't they the people who can do the on and off the ball work We've had quite a few of them at Liverpool we've seen loads of them in the Premier League and uh another one here for sadly our biggest rivals at the moment but I think Alvarez has been great, so I don't disagree with him being put up to that level. I just don't think he's been for me, better than one of the other midfielders that I could have, which is obviously why I went 4-4-2, team of the tournament, for the shape of the tournament.
1: Yeah, and in surprise to nobody, I've got Messi and Mbappe as well. I agree with everything Guy said about Messi, and I do agree with about Mbappe. Like He's had moments in the quarterfinal and semi-final, but it felt like, to that point, he could just take over again. Mm. And he hasn't done it in the last two rounds, but He still had a big hand in the first French goal against England and obviously he had a big hand in both goals last night with both goals coming because, as Carol mentioned on the last pod, the entire Moroccan defence converged on him and he was still able to get a shot away both times and because of the deflection bringing the ball towards the French player and all the Moroccan players been so keyed in, on Mbappé, that French player had a, a free shot on goal. Um, so just to recap then, um, I've got Lovacovic, Hakimi, Romero, Kanate, Masraoui, Enzo, Amrabat, Kovacic, Griezmann, Messi and Mbappé. Carl, you have?
2: Lovacovic, Hakimi, Sai Vardial and Teo Hernandez. Griezmann, Amrabat, Kovacic, McAllister, Messi, Mbappé. And
1: Guy,
3: Livakovic, Kimi, Varane, Gvardiol, Acuna, Griezmann, Amrabat, Kovacic, Messi, Alvarez, and Mbappe.
1: So I wasn't the only one then that didn't pick that. That only picked from the semi-finals. You both went the same way. There is nobody who made our teams of the tournament who went out earlier than the semi-finals.
3: I don't think there's a real argument for anyone out of that group. I think
2: England. Luke Shaw's the closest, because
3: left-back's no, a bit
1: sparse.
2: I think Bellingham from England. Oh, Bellingham again. Fernandes from Portugal. I've, I've you know, As you can probably tell from this, I've already written out a squad. Um, probably...
1: Which Bruno Fernandes?
2: Yeah, yeah Fernandes yeah. For, for later on, yeah. Um, probably you can make a case for Nathan Ake being included in the centre-back group, but I wouldn't put him in the top two for sure and then from Brazil, the only real ones I could think of were Casemiro and Lucas Pagata. Yeah. There was only one from Spain I thought maybe could be involved again, which was Dani Olmo, but again, I think he's like several levels below where I would
1: pick from. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Tyler Adams had an outstanding tournament for the Americans, but obviously playing the same position as Amrabat and with Amrabat going two rounds further, the, the argument goes away. I thought Yunus Musa is worthy of a mention you mentioned um, Aki I thought he was I thought he was very good throughout um, England Bellingham for, for certain but he did have he did have a couple of quiet games I, I thought Harry Kane had a great tournament like I said I, I genuinely did I thought comfortably his best tournament for England but the the remaining memory of Harry Kane I at mean, this tournament know. is going to be a missed penalty so tough shit <laughs> um I thought there's a couple of Japanese players that had standout tournaments.
3: I nearly put Mitoma in just for the vibes.
1: Just for the vibes. The the greatest player of all time. But unfortunately he missed the penalty as well and out uh, he goes. Um like Carol said, for Brazil, Casemiro was, was good, but so many of their players were just so disappointing. Um and again, Spain can Spain can fuck off. It, it just can't be dealing with that kind of nonsense.
3: When the World Cup's done, done, we need to do a most disappointing team of the tournament.
1: Oh, that's a good show. Made, that's made how a, our just match. Just that's be the captain, and I won't do anything else.
3: <laughs> it might just be the Brazil team, surely? It might just be Belgium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we kind of expected that because Hazard's a corpse, so let's be honest.
1: Um, yeah, and like like you said, for 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 Portugal, um, Jeff Felix had a couple of great games, and Bruno was Bruno was very very good, but yeah, I mean. Just I don't know what went wrong against Morocco. Morocco just just stifled them. But I, I think we've I think we've gone you know we've we've got a lot of the same players. We've got a lot of crossover, and I think in the places we've got differences. The players that each of us picked are on each other's short list. So yeah, I, I think there's been there's been some really good uh, performances. So we'll leave that there for today. We will be back. We'll have two more pods for this World Cup. We will have one where we preview the final. We pick our player of the tournament, our young player of the tournament, our manager of the tournament, and also take a guess at who will end up with the golden boot. And then at some point next week, we will do just a a recap. And we'll do maybe a a most disappointing 11 or whatever. It might be a most disappointing 18 because there's been so many players that really let themselves down here. Uh, And we'll just obviously recap that final as well. So, Carol, anything you want to mention before we go? No, enjoy the World Cup final, everyone. Cool. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you
0: enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community,